a young lady thinks that her relationship with her boyfriend is the most wonderful thing ever. It's probably going to last forever. And then he breaks up with her. It's a reality check. Somehow she was, was thinking about that relationship in a different way than he was. The reality was the relationship was not going as well as she may have thought it was. A man thinks that his car is going to last him many years and then it dies. It's a reality check. None of us really knows how long anything is going to last in spite of our best guesses about it. How many times has a political party or a specific candidate been expected to win, maybe even by a landslide, and then was surprised by how the election turned out? It's a reality check. There was something about the situation which was not as it seemed or not as they thought. When Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Corinth, he wanted to make sure that they understood the truth, that they had a firm grasp on reality. He did not want them to make assumptions about their own situations based on well, factors that they maybe were most likely to consider. In other words, Paul had a reality check for them. His words put it this way, Let him who thinks he stands be careful that he does not fall. Paul was worried that these Christians could be complacent. They might not recognize the evil that was all around them. They might assume that everything was just fine. After all, it all seemed to be going pretty well. But there were threats. There were dangers that they needed to be aware of. And so Paul offered them a reality check by recounting parts and events from the history of the Old Testament Israelites. These lessons from the Israelites serve as a warning for us too. We can't consider every single detail about the history of the Israelites, but we can certainly summarize some of the events to which Paul alludes, and we can take those lessons, the reality check, to heart. One thing that's very clear from Israelite history is that they were a privileged people. God had given those Israelites many amazing blessings. We heard earlier in our first reading how God called Moses to lead this people, to rescue them out of the, uh, the hands of the Egyptians who had oppressed them and kept them as slaves. God ultimately led Moses to answer that call, to do as God directed him to do. The people left Egypt with God himself appearing in fire and cloud, leading their way out, and Moses as their leader. And then almost immediately they found themselves trapped against the Red Sea. And behind them were Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, along with his army, 
And they were bearing down on the Israelites. So God did a miracle. He divided the waters of the sea so that the people could walk through on dry ground with walls of water on both sides of them. He rescued them with that water. He made them into a a, a people that were uniquely joined to each other and to their leader, Moses, through that experience. And this was really just the beginning. Because God kept leading the people out into the wilderness. And He fed them miraculously by providing special food. He gave them water to drink where there was none. In fact, water often came out of solid rock for them. Paul makes a pretty clear comparison between those Israelites and the Corinthians. Really, he makes that same comparison between them and us today as well. He suggests that their experience with the cloud and the sea was was something like baptism. He suggests that the miraculous food and drink was very much like Holy Communion and the, the miraculous food and drink God provides for us there. In other words, we are privileged people too. Those people had something like baptism, something like Holy Communion. We have baptism, and God uses it to wash away our sin. We have Holy Communion in which He gives to us Christ's own body and blood for our forgiveness. This is an amazing privilege God has provided generously for us. And yet... The conclusion of the story for the Israelites is not necessarily what we might expect. As good as God was to the Israelites, as as much as they were a privileged people, He was ultimately displeased with most of them. Almost that whole generation of Israelites who left Egypt did not make it into the promised land. They died in the wilderness and their bodies were scattered there. It wasn't enough for them to have these blessings and benefits. It says something about how these people used their privileged position, their privileged status, when we realize that the Bible tells us they did not please God. Of course, that's at least in part explained by what Paul discusses next. The Israelites, besides being a privileged people, were a tempted people. They were tempted not to rely on God, who gave, him, gave them such amazing gifts, They were tempted to misuse those gifts that He gave to them, to misunderstand why God had given them, misunderstand what God had done for them. The particular details that Paul shares are instructive for us as well. Some of the people, he says, were idolaters. Paul even quotes the Old Testament here. A quote comes, uh, that comes from the account of the golden calf. The people created, molded, shaped their own God and worshipped it. They didn't keep their hearts set on the true God who had rescued them out of Egypt. 
didn't keep their hearts on his instruction to them. God didn't remain first in their hearts or in their minds. Do you, do you suppose there are any similarities between them and us? Would you care to consider how many times you've made a golden calf? And I don't mean by that that you actually formed the metal into some shape or bowed it down to it, but that you allowed something else to be first in your heart or first in your mind, to be the thing in which you put your, your trust, your confidence. Oh, how like those Israelites we really are. Even with all the blessings God gives to us, we wander away from Him. We focus on the things that He has created, that He gives to us like the gold, instead of focusing on the One who gives it. And that's just the first example from the Israelites. The Israelites also fell victim to sexual immorality. God punish their immorality by allowing a plague to kill over 20,000 of them. Sexual temptation is such a, a part of the culture all around us, and immorality worms its way into too many hearts and into our hearts too many times. God punished the Israelites on another occasion with poisonous serpents when they, they tested Him. They were destroyed when they grumbled and complained. Have you ever grumbled or complained? Many of us have probably grumbled and or complained more than once already this morning. The temptations common to the Israelites and to the Corinthians are common to us. We are so much like those people. The sins, the giving into temptation, those things are far too common among us as well. That's why we have the warning. That's why God gives us this glimpse of the destruction that God brought on them. The fact that we are a, a privileged people didn't save them. The fact is we're even more privileged because they only had a promise, a promise of a Savior who was, was, was going to come. We live in a time when that Savior has come. We live, as our text tells us, in the end of the ages in the last times as we await His coming again. That's the reality check. You might think, we might think, that everything is fine. You might go about your everyday daily routine and your regular habits. You might suppose that showing up to church means that you're obviously in good standing with God. But the reality check says, be careful. Yes, you have amazing privileges, even the privilege of, of being here together this morning. But that doesn't mean that temptation can be taken lightly. It doesn't mean that you are free from danger. 
you have that in common with the Israelites. But you have this in common with the Israelites too. You are God's people. Or let's say it the way Paul says it, God is faithful. While the bad news of what happened to the Israelites, that's what, what Paul puts on display for us. The good is still implied there. There's a reason that God gave them all those spiritual blessings, all the privileges that he did. God had chosen them. God had chosen them to be his own. And while so many died before they could ever reach the promised land, God's people did reach the promised land. God kept his promise. There always remained a, a remnant of people who were faithful to him and faithful to his word. And God is faithful to you. He sent his son to die for your sins. He sent his son to die for the sins of all people, sent Jesus Christ to be the world's Savior. And in His death and in His resurrection, we have forgiveness and eternal life. That's the privileged position in which we stand. And though we face temptation and though we, we sometimes fall, God remains faithful. This reality check tells us, don't be overconfident. Don't put your confidence in yourself. It tells us to approach our lives with humility. To recognize that we can't resist temptation. We can't avoid sin. Not on our own. But God's promises are incredible. He hasn't let us be tempted or tested beyond what He allows us to endure. He strengthens us. He builds us up with His Word, with His sacraments. He strengthens us to stand up under testing and trial. He provides a way by which we are able to bear everything that we face. God had a plan. God had a plan to bring His Israelites into the promised land and that's exactly what he did. But he also had a bigger plan in store for them. Just as he has a bigger plan in store for us. And that means we can't always tell by the outward circumstances of our lives and our situations what God is really accomplishing. The dangers around us are just as real whether everything is going fine in our lives or whether we are suffering in some particular and maybe major way. Jesus offered some specific pleas about this in our gospel today. He said that the onlookers couldn't take refuge or comfort in the fact that others had been the ones to suffer when a tower fell on them or when their sacrifices were interrupted by violence and deadly violence. See, that was the temptation for his listeners. They, they might get the false impression that this evil that befell others meant that those people were more sinful. 
In contrast, those who didn't suffer in that way, well, they must be innocent or must be somehow better. But that's not what Jesus taught. That's not what Jesus said. What he said was that even the evil that befalls others should remind us of our need for repentance. Jesus calls on us to remember that we could suffer in the same way. We could suffer even worse just as easily. God has a greater plan and purpose for us. His plan, His purpose is for us to reach our heavenly promised land. Our privileged position is not enough to get us there. The temptations that we face and the sins we commit stand in the way and threaten to to drag us off the path. But here's where our strength is. Here is where our confidence is well placed. God is faithful. He helps us. He upholds us. He saves. He forgives. And so in everything, We turn to Him. We rely on Him. This is the reality check that we need. Without Him, we are nothing. But with God and as His people, we have everything. Amen.